Hi, I'm Denise Bailey. And I'm Dr. Monica Parker. And you're listening to My Parents Are Now My Kids, a medical doctor's view and daughter's journey through memory loss and other dementias. As a doctor, I'll help you navigate through the often confusing, confounding, and frustrating aspects of dementia. And as a daughter, I'll share with you some things I've experienced caring for and loving my parents who both struggled with these disorders. We want you to have hope and to see that there is light at the end of this tunnel. And we'll tell you that sometimes that light is coming straight at you and you just have to get out of the way. Let's get started. Well, Dr. Monica, first we need to explain what the title means. My parents are now my kids. What does that mean? When a person develops dementia, that's a brain disorder or brain dysfunction, they're no longer able to do the things for themselves that you or I would have normally done to get to the studio today. Their activities need to be planned. You have to develop a schedule for them, much like you would a toddler. So your parents who don't have the capacity in their brains to organize their day, to get themselves up without prompting, to get themselves dressed, to get themselves fed, to get themselves out the door, need you to do that. Well, you know, I had this um, experience and I have both parents. Um, Sadly, my father has now passed away. But when I first started noticing the things you were talking about, that just sort of confounded me. I mean, when you first experience something like that, what do you do? What do you tell patients? Well, I think the first thing is that you need to be clear about what it is you're seeing. So what are the behaviors that you think are unusual or that are certainly not normal for them? And then you make an appointment to discuss what you have observed with their primary care doctor. Let me tell you what I first saw. When um, my father was not living with me, and I used to call him back home every day just to say hello, like all kids do with their parents. And uh, the telephone would ring 10 times, 10 times. And finally, my dad would answer the phone like nothing had happened. I'm like, he's like, hello? I'm like, hi, Dad, what are you doing? Oh, I'm sitting here. I said, you're sitting where? Oh, I'm here by the phone and it took him 10 rings. Was that a sign? It could have been, but you don't tell me whether or not your father had a hearing problem. Maybe he didn't hear it. Ah. And in the neurology world, hearing loss is one of those things that is associated with brain dysfunction or memory loss and the onset of dementia. Ah. So, My comment would be, if he sat by the phone and it had to ring 10 times in order for him to hear it, the question is, did he hear it the first time? Was he in a position where he could hear the phone? So before I say, okay, there's something wrong with my brain, did daddy hear it? And if daddy didn't hear it, we need to get daddy's hearing checked. Good observation. Well, my dad did not have a hearing problem, so that made me wonder. Maybe I jumped to a conclusion that I should not have, but... That's so what, what did a, you do? I decided after a while, um, when I started noticing that more and more and more often, I said, you know, Dad, there's nothing keeping you here. 
why don't you uh, come stay with me? And at the time, he was in his early 80s, and he came willingly, and uh, it was the best move I ever made. Well, other than having what you thought were difficulties recognizing the phone ring, were there other things that you noticed about your father? I mean, his dress, was he wearing the same clothes over and over? Did he repeat himself? There was something else. Uh, my dad called me in a panic one day. And I was like, Dad, what's wrong? He was like, well, I've been getting all these things in the mail. And I'm like, what things? He's like, they're like medical supplies and he really couldn't describe what they were but they came with a price tag of hundreds of dollars and he was panicking because they were like you owe us this money i said well dad did you order it and he was like i don't think i did but that's something i started to figure out is that he was vulnerable and i felt like someone was taking advantage of him so somebody was selling him something and he was buying it or they were just sending him bills? Help me, and I'm well, after, still not quite after, clear. Right. After much research, I found out that there was a company that had been calling him on the phone. So he at least still had their phone number. So I started calling them. And to make a long story very short, I found out that it was a scam, that they were, you know, preying on... I assume the elderly and people who really couldn't understand and were getting them to buy or agreed to verbally buy medical supplies. After he moved in with you, were there other things that you saw? Well, I noticed that he tended to repeat himself a lot. Um, he got slower, but I attributed that to the fact that he was in his early 80s. And um, when he moved to town, my dad was a a people person and he's always been a people person so he immediately ingrained himself in the community and became everyone's best friend and found uh, a bunch of folks that he liked to hang around with um, and he was still driving at the time so I started to notice that when he would go places it would take him a little bit longer to get back home and he would do things like frequent a certain grocery store and buy bleach for no reason. And he kept buying bleach. And every time he would come home, he would have a new bottle of bleach to the point where I had to go to the grocery store and say, if you see this little man, please don't sell him any more bleach. So how long had he been living with you when you started to notice this type of behavior? I would say it was about a year or two. A year or two. And he was driving. He was and driving. And he was buying bottles of bleach. Why did he stop at the grocery store? Is that because he knew where he was? Tell me why he stopped at the grocery store. I How far was that from your house? It was only about five miles from home, but I think it just gave him something to do because he was a former school teacher and he always had a routine. And when he moved to live with me, he had less things to do. Um, so... When he would go to his, you know, certain gathering on a certain day, I guess he didn't want to just drive home. And he felt like he wanted to do something and accomplish something. So his accomplishment was going to the grocery store every day and buying something. Now, he really didn't need to buy anything, but he just kept buying bleach. 
Well, you you brought up an, an important feature of caregiving for people who have memory loss or problems with their memory. And one of those things is to establish a routine and a schedule. And when people stay on their schedule and on their routine, particularly when they're starting to have memory loss, it kind of keeps them in order. And then when you note that their routine is disruptive, you're going to start looking a little bit closer. So scheduling activities, meaningful activities for people who are aware enough, certainly when somebody can drive and can express themselves, but they have one or two little things going on, but they can pretty much be left alone. Establishing a schedule of meaningful activities, whether it's they're hanging out with their fraternity brothers or they're doing church work, something, some schedule level of activity on a regular basis okay daddy's going to go to the gym every day you know he's going to go to bible study on wednesday or he's going to go play golf um every tuesday afternoon but establishing a schedule that you and he mutually agree upon gives you a way for people who are starting in this journey to stay organized and the longer they have an organized schedule in a familiar area the more likely they are to stay on task despite their difficulties. So a schedule is really important for them. A schedule of activities that mean something to them, that occupy their time, is very important for people, certainly in the early stages, but even as they progress in the dementia, uh, their dementia, regardless of what it's from, it still gives them something to do. You know, like you're used to going to exercise, so you're going to continue to be physically active. You're going to get your stuff together. You're going to regulate things. So keeping a schedule, a regular schedule of activities, keeps people a little bit more independent and functional, regardless of the stage of the disorder. So now my dad is living with me, and of course, because of his age, I had to find a whole set of new doctors, and that was a chore. So I asked around, and uh, one of his physicians recommended you, Dr. Parker, and um, we came to visit you, and that's how we met. Um, I was impressed. You um, were awesome, and uh, you were caring, and you really took an interest in my dad, and uh, I was really happy. Well, one of the things that primary care doctors do, I'm glad I had that impression on you. <laughs> yes. Uh, one of the things that primary care doctors do when you have to evaluate somebody who has memory loss is they need to make sure that medically they're okay. So things that can make your um, memory a little fuzzy and make your brain not work so well are things like being on medicines that don't interact well together or having diabetes and having it not be under good control, having high blood pressure that isn't under good control such that you may be at stroke risk and lots of people develop like little strokes. So one of the things that primary care doctors do is make sure that all medical illnesses and chronic things are under good control first because those things, if they're off kilter, can sometimes add to some brain dysfunction. 
The second thing that we like to do when we see new patients, particularly when they look like they're normal on the surface of things and they're one or two things that just don't make quite a lot of sense, is we send them for what we call neuropsych testing. I like to say it's the intelligence test for older adults or the IQ test for older adults. And that's a neuropsych test, which is a test that's conducted by a PhD doctor, a clinical psychologist, who puts somebody through a number of measurements, you know, brain tests, And that's what I liked about you, because uh, when we came in, not only did you, you know, analyze the physical aspects of my dad, but you were interested in his mental health. And uh, I explained to you that, you know, he's a a gregarious person. He's a people person. He loves people. Uh, So I wanted him to be able to experience that, even though he was in a new city and, um, just to be able to get out and to do things like that. And you suggested, like you said, you know, someone to sort of examine just not just his body, but his mind to help him integrate himself and and realize where he was mentally and physically. Now, one of the things I do remember about your father, and this is how we started talking, was he was a runner. And he liked to tell me, because I asked him about his exercise, and he told me that he liked to run, but he also liked to swim. Yes. See, my daddy originally from Kingston, Jamaica, and he came to the States in the 1950s on a track scholarship. So, yes, he's very, very proud of that. He was one of those Jamaican runners before Usain Bolt. Mm -hmm. Um, He ran. He didn't win a gold medal, but uh, he was quite the runner and quite well known. And he embraced that and loved that and bragged about that. And I was very proud of him. Yeah. I remember that discussion, but he smiled when he talked about his running. He really did smile and do all that when he was doing his talking about his track days. And I don't think I ever really knew what kind of profession he was in, but I did know that he was a runner when he was in college. And he was very proud of the fact that he ran. Yes. So one of the things that's probably important for our listeners to know is, okay, at what point did you start taking over some of his activities you talked about his driving and you talked about getting him to do something every day when did you change some of that you know when did you start taking over for some of your things your dad did well or why more importantly when and why after the visit with you and uh, you suggested uh, what was the neuropsych Mm -hmm. um, evaluation I took him to that and uh, they said yeah there's some early stages of you know, dementia, Alzheimer's, and, you know, I'm the layman, and you can explain that better to people who listen. But it sort of scared me there. You know, I was like, what's the future going to be? Because I'm looking at my dad, and he's engaging, and he's happy, and he's healthy, as healthy as an early, you know, early 80s, 80-year-old man can be. But it scared me, you know, and I, I then listen to what they said, and I tried to be proactive. So from that point on, I knew that it was probably best for dad not to drive. He had not had any accidents or anything like that. But just the fact that he was, as I mentioned before, like going through this routine and going to the grocery store and continuing to buy bleach (laughs) uh, for no reason, Mm -hmm. it was sort of a sign that something was not quite right And I did not want it to escalate into something dangerous. So at that point, I stopped him from driving. And, you know, my dad, uh, he was awesome. 
I still feel like he's with me. He's awesome. Um, now, but, what you're describing, Denise, and I'm going to interrupt you here. What you just described is you started taking over for him. Okay, that's where, just like with small children, we take them to school, we get them ready for school, we get them tested. But more importantly, you start laying out things, okay? Your father's got to get from point A to point B. You're no longer comfortable with his ability to navigate on his own. So you're kind of helping him with that. So you've told him he's not going to drive anymore. And so because he's not driving anymore, you're responsible now for taking him anywhere he needs to go or arranging his transportation. So when we have children at home, we arrange their activities. But when it comes to getting to school or after school activities, we arrange their transportation. So this is, there are two things you've done already in terms of taking over for your father. You've moved him from a place where you can't observe him because you're a distance caregiver. And he's happy to move because you're his only child. And you've moved him to a new city, so he's got to get new friends, he's got to get new activities and routines, and more importantly, he's got new doctors. But now you've just taken away his ability to drive and otherwise navigate for himself. Yeah. And you're doing it. Absolutely. And it's a struggle, and it was hard, but I felt it was the best thing to do. And he was cooperative, and he didn't fuss, and... Um, he didn't flinch. He he did what he needed to do. And so I guess that's a perfect example of my parents are now my kids. And we'll talk more about other things next time.